episode 153 of the Marvel Studios News Podcast. My name is Sean Gerber, joined by Paul Herman. How you doing, Paul? I am very, very well. I'm going to see you in a few days. I'm very excited about that. So That's right. We are seeing each other this week, this Friday. So yeah, yeah. we're recording this on Monday night. I know that means nothing to you if you don't know <laughs> when we're actually recording, but yes, uh, we are seeing each other in person. We're going to hang out in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland. That's going to be pretty fun. Yeah. So um, it's going to be your first time there, which yes. I'm really excited about. Yeah, my first time at Galaxy's Edge and uh, I'm, I'm super, super excited, obviously, because you know, you're, you're going to be there. Our good friend Justin's going to be there. My other good friends, Kyle and Tim from The Saga Continues, they're going to be there. I am ecstatic about experiencing Star Wars with all you guys, and it's going to be fun. I'm not a super rides person, but um, I'm I'm going to try to attempt to ride, ride Rise of Resistance, and hopefully we'll get in, and I'll experience that and not cry too much because I'm, I'm just not a rides person. But I love Disneyland, ironically enough, so, you know, it's for, for kids. Yeah, I know. Uh, I remember we went. We all went to Disneyland, a big group of us, a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I remember Paul not being a huge rides guy, but that's okay. That's Disneyland is whatever experience you want it to be. Exactly. You go to Galaxy's Edge. I've actually not yet been on, even though I'm an annual pass holder. I still haven't been on Rise of the Resistance. It's been open for about a month now, but it's just been crazy every morning to try and get on that ride, and I just don't have time for that. I'll fight for Hall H for a Marvel Studios panel, but I've got my limits. And so uh, That's fair. this yeah. will be my first time when we go together on Friday morning trying to fight that fight and get into Rise of the Resistance. Nice. But I don't think you got to be a rides guy for the Millennium Falcon Ride Smuggler's Run because it's basically a video game. So yeah. I think you'll be okay. You'll be okay on that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited, mainly to see you in Galaxy's Edge. I've oh. seen Galaxy's Edge and been there plenty of times, but to see the look on your face when you walk in there is going to be pretty uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, thanks, man. I'm, I'm excited. It's going to be, every time I go down, we go down to see Disneyland. We, did, we went there a couple of years ago. It was, a, it was honestly one of my favorite days in a while. It was great. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hanging out with you on Friday, and I'm looking forward to hanging out with a lot of our patrons, a lot of our community this coming Sunday on February 23rd at 5 p.m. Pacific time, I'm going to be hosting an Avengers watch party, and that's going to be on our Patreon-exclusive Discord community. For more information on that, please visit patreon.com slash News. We get a bigger and bigger turnout every time we do one of these, and I am so excited to watch Avengers with a big group on Sunday. So hope to see and hear you there, and I'll be talking more about it as we go on with the show. But this episode, we are going to continue our, after a little bit of a break, We are going to continue our Expanding the Universe series, and next up is The Eternals, which is going to be in theaters on November 6th this year. Let's start by talking about what we know, or recapping what we know about The Eternals as of now. It's being directed by Chloe Zhao, who made a great film called The Writer. If you haven't seen that, you should definitely check it out. She also made Songs My Brothers Taught Me, which I'm sure is also great. I just haven't seen it, so can't give a personal testimonial like I can The Writer. Uh, the movie has been written by, as far as we know, the credited writers are Matthew K. Furpo and Ryan Furpo. Don't know if anyone else has been added yet. The cast includes Richard Matt, and these are these descriptions of the characters were supplied by Disney and Marvel Studios. The cast includes Richard Madden as the all-powerful Icarus, Gemma Chan as the humankind-loving Cersei, Kumail Nanjiani as the cosmic-powered Kingo, Lauren Ridloff as the super-fast Makari, Brian Tyree Henry as the intelligent inventor Fastos, Salma Hayek as the wise and spiritual leader Ajak, Leah McHugh as the eternally young old soul Sprite, 
Don Lee as the powerful Gilgamesh, Barry Kagan as aloof loner Druig, Angelina Jolie as the fierce warrior Athena, and Kit Harington as the non-eternal Dane Whitman. Here is the official synopsis for The Eternals. Marvel Studios' The Eternals features an exciting new team of superheroes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, ancient aliens who have been living on Earth in secret for thousands of years, Following and following the events of Avengers Endgame, an unexpected tragedy forces them out of the shadows to reunite against mankind's most ancient enemy, the Deviants. So that's what we know about the Eternals so far. Paul, you and I have been trying to wrap our heads around this movie for, as pretty much everybody has now, for almost two years. We found out about this movie around the time Infinity War was coming out. Mm-hmm. Kevin Feige confirmed that it was in development during the press tour for Avengers, uh, during the press tour for Avengers Infinity War. We did an Eternals 101 episode, I think, in June of 2018. We had started introducing ourselves to these characters, and we're going to talk more about what we think is going to happen in this, in this movie, and we're going to speculate a little bit more. But before we get into any of the other news that we have about this movie, just looking at what we have so far officially from Marvel Studios, officially from Disney, I am really, really excited about The Eternals. I know that this is arguably the most obscure property that Marvel has adapted for the big screen at this point. I mean, I think it would go beyond Guardians of the Galaxy. At least for me, I know that would be true because my knowledge of, of the Guardians of the Galaxy, it was limited when we found out that movie was happening back in 2012. But I still knew a lot more about that and those characters than I did about The Eternals. For The Eternals, for the most part, I was aware of their existence. I kind of, I remembered Cersei a little bit from the Avengers, but didn't even really always associate her with the Eternals. And I know that's silly, but I didn't always, that didn't always immediately spring to mind. But then all the other characters like Icarus, I mean, most of these characters in the Eternals really didn't know. Icarus and Cersei might be able to recognize them visually as having appeared in a number of books, but Mm -hmm. my understanding of them was very, very limited. And I think that's the case for a lot of people out there, even most comic book readers, kind of like Guardians of the Galaxy, only much, much, only to a, a higher degree, I think. But that's kind of what I love about it, because I love that Marvel Studios, in the wake of Avengers Endgame, as they approach this new era, they're still taking big, uh, big swings and taking risks on, on properties like this. And we've talked a lot about this, and I think that the reason why they're making this is because it's before the Fox deal. I, and I still stand by that. I still think that this property is just so obscure. There's no way they would continue, they would make this if they didn't have that in sight or, you know, the conveyor belt that I think the Marvel is, is going on with, with their properties. I just think that like they, they needed to put something in production and, and this was something they wanted to pursue before they had all the Fox things, you know, in, in, in line and what, or whatnot. So, I mean, I could be wrong, but I just, it does not seem these characters never seemed like something that we, they would want to pursue with all that being said, it's being made. So that's what we're here to talk about. So, for me, these characters are were recognizable by visual, like you said, Sean. That's the only way I knew them besides Cersei. Cersei was the only character that I was familiar with because of her familiar or her involvement with the Avengers and in the nineties and whatnot. So that was that's where I stood with with the internals until basically like Icarus looked familiar to me. I would I, I recognized him immediately. I didn't know his name. But I knew him from the different comics that maybe I'd, I'd seen or I'd seen guest stars or whatever. And I would see him. It wasn't until uh, the Neil Gaiman stuff or Gaiman stuff. I'm um, you know, me pronouncing names. Not the best, obviously. Uh, Neil Gaiman, uh, his stuff. Uh, he put that that miniseries that, you know, back in the day. And I bought a couple issues and 
I never grabbed, you know, never, never grabbed me until we started. I never read it until we started doing it for the show. I, I bought the graphic novel at a half price books for like eight bucks one day, years before, we, you know, we, I was even on the show. So, and I just never read it. I just always meant to get to it. Um, but that being said, the Eternals are, are, is a property that just really feels that I will, I'll give Marvel a lot of credit on this. It feels like a property that they have the most freedom to do whatever the hell they want to do with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that is ultimately, if it wasn't, if I'm wrong and it wasn't because they didn't have a Fox deal in line, this is the reason why they're doing it. They want to see, and I've said this before, they want to see what they can do with these characters and this, and with these uh, ideas and what they can, what kind of breath you know of fresh air can they put in or breath of life they they can blow into these characters and with their not having a lot of uh i would say not continuity but a lot of uh a huge fan base to kind of answer to because let's be real there's not there's hardly any eternal fan you know hardcore eternal fans or not many of them and that's not a knock on the characters that's just because there's they haven't connected and for whatever reason they just, you know, in the comic books, he never did much. Now, that doesn't say, that doesn't mean that this isn't going to be a good, great movie and it's not going to do well because I've gone on record before on on, on other shows for uh, for Ant-Man when it was coming out. I didn't think it was, Ant-Man couldn't support its own comic book, for God's sakes. How can it support its own movie? And look what it's happened. Neither could Guardians of the Galaxy until they had a movie. I mean, that's where the well, Eternals actually... Uh, Guardians, Give me the Guardians book that that lasted. The 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 Albert and Landmine. I want to say that was twenty five issues. Because twenty five issues, but, and then it was done. But I think, so but I think not, that was planned though. In the same. Oh, I, I appreciate that, but part of the reason that's planned is because Guardians of the Galaxy was never going to support an ongoing book for decades the way that other Marvel characters have. And I'm not obviously the Guardians of the Galaxy have had more more sustained success in publishing than the Eternals. When Jack Kirby originally created the Eternals and started those publishing those, when Marvel started publishing those books in 1976, it went on for, I think, what, 18 issues or so, and then it was done. And they actually had to, they didn't, Jack Kirby never got to finish that story. So what they had to do was they started, they picked up the story in the issues of Thor, and then they slowly transitioned into the Avengers, where Cersei joined the Avengers and she went on that team. And they would occasionally bring things back to her Eternals roots and provide updates on that story and recaps of what had happened before to keep the characters relevant and in the minds of at least some comic book readers. But still, I mean, Eternals, I I agree with you in that. And as I said earlier, it's definitely the most obscure, but it's not the first example of Marvel Studios backing something that didn't sustain its own book. Doctor Strange hasn't always sustained his own book. Ant-Man, as you mentioned, hasn't always sustained his own book. Guardians of the Galaxy, even Iron Man hasn't always had a top-selling book. Granted, he's usually ended up still at least being published uh, for years and years and and decades, really. But for Eternals, I I definitely disagree with you on the point that this only exists because the Fox deal hadn't been made yet. The Fox deal was announced in December of 2017, and they confirmed the development of this movie in in the spring of 2018. If they wanted to back out because they knew they were getting the Fox stuff, they could have backed out. And even if you separate the Fox stuff from it, say the Fox stuff was never going to happen, take it off the table completely, there are still several other characters that Marvel Studios had the rights to and still has the rights to that we would have picked for a movie before we would have picked the Eternals, and we just would have been wrong. Just like nobody thought 
until it got scooped a month or two before Comic-Con that Marvel was going to work on a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. And that was what people thought at the time was it wasn't so much that Marvel was running out of characters. People just thought that Marvel was high on that Avengers money. And they're like, okay, we can get away with anything now. Let's make a Guardians movie. And I don't really know that that was the thought process, but I don't totally mind that thought process in that if we take big risks and they pay off, let's continue to take big risks. Uh, So Guardians was a risk in its own right. Eternals is now a risk in its own right. But that's what Marvel Studios should be doing. And I do agree with the point you made, though, in that when there's such limited, there's such a limited amount of material for the Eternals. Most of these characters that I listed there, they are not fully formed characters. They just aren't. They have maybe a handful of appearances, and those appearances are very brief across a number of books. They don't have a lot of development. Icarus has a decent amount. Cersei, of course, probably has the most of any of the Eternals characters. Thena got a fair amount of focus during the Jack Kirby run and during some other stuff. Sprite ended up getting a good run in the in the Neil Gaiman series. So there have been, at different points in time, some of these characters have become a bigger deal. But for the most part, they haven't had sustained runs throughout different books and different stories the way a lot of other Marvel characters have. And I think the beauty of that is while there are surely some, and, I'm, and I'll bet a few of them are listening, there are surely some diehard Eternals fans who have loved these books and loved these characters for as long as they've been appearing, or even if they weren't around in 1976, dove into these characters, and they're the ones who've been loving these characters and keeping their names out there to, so they could keep getting appearances in comic books. I know there's some of that group out there, but it's such a small group, even within the diehard Marvel comic book fandom and the longtime Marvel comic book fandom, that what you get from, uh, from Marvel Studios' perspective is you get that freedom. You get a lot of space to adapt. We talked, we brought up this point before that this might be as close to as, as close as we've ever seen to a true original story from Marvel Studios. I mean, everything they tell is is original in the sense that they are not direct adaptations of any specific comic book. But even the formation of the characters, there's so much room to play with. There's so much blank space to fill in, and I think that's really great. I think that's kind of what makes this movie unique in the overall spectrum of the MCU. And I really do appreciate that this is Marvel Studios continuing to believe in characters that even comic book fans haven't always believed in or haven't always embraced. And it's something they have done before. This is just the greatest extent to which we've seen them do that with the Eternals, because even though there are similarities that you can point out to, and I have pointed out to Guardians, Ant-Man, and Doctor Strange, of course, Eternals, it's on a different level than any of those characters. But I think that's something that's definitely something that I appreciate. And to go back to the, the Guardians thing, I just really quick. The reason why I think that you can't really count that Albert and Landmine, the that run is because it was I think it was canceled because they wanted to reboot it for the MCU and get it prepared. Because right after they did tw- issue 25 with the Thanos imperative, they showed up in the Avengers Assemble comic book which was right after there's issue three which was that that series came out right when the avengers 2012 film came out so it was basically and it has the same exact team as the avengers do and it was and i think to me that was all strategically planned so they could go out reboot the team because if you remember that that version of Star Lord, the timeline doesn't really work though. I mean, Thanos Imperative wrapped up. I mean, the Guardians book wrapped up going right into Thanos Imperative, and Thanos Imperative was over by June of 2010, which is around the time roughly where Nicole Perlman started developing early stuff with Guardians of the Galaxy. 
but they wouldn't have been ending that book for a script that was one of many that Marvel was developing as part of their writer's program at the time. So I, I don't really think that's what happened. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think there was things going on because it was announced, you know, it, it feels like to me anyway, like it, it was definitely like there was definitely a plan. Like they had some, they had a plan for those characters and they wanted to like shut it down and see what happens because again, like they, because well, the core I, I think team it was, was a, there. I, I agree with, regardless of the reason, I agree with you that the plan, well, I think the plan was to end the book at, 25 issues and then go into Thanos imperative. That's why Thanos imperative has a fairly definitive ending. Right. As definitive ending of endings as comic books get because spoiler alert for people who haven't read the comic book, you can stop the show now, but it's a 10-year-old comic book. You have Peter Quill and Richard Rider and Thanos all die at the yeah. end of that book. So, I mean, it's not it was kind of meant to be this closed-ended story as much as you get in comic books anyway, inevitably, sure. of course, they're brought back and all of that. So I'm not saying that the book got canceled due to poor sales. I don't know or yeah, I don't know what the sales yeah. numbers were for the book, but I, I still think the point holds in that Guardians did not enjoy continuous publication for years and years and years the way they have now since the wake of the movie. Obviously, they launched a new Guardians book in advance of the movie coming out with Brian Michael Bendis writing it, yeah. and so all of that, you know, that sustained run that the Guardians have had has been more associated with their success in the MCU and also with Guardians, by the way. I mean, it's this is where it, it's a similar example of the Guardians being something that Marvel kind of plucked out of obscurity. To their credit, this Guardians team that we see in the MCU comes from that Albert and the Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning run. We affectionately call Albert and Landmine. It was done in that started in 2008, and that they weren't the guard that lineup. They were not the Guardians of the Galaxy prior to that. It was different characters. It was Yondu and Charlie Twenty Seven, people you eventually saw as. The OG Ravagers and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two; those were the Guardians of the Galaxy in the comic books in the nineteen in late nineteen sixties through the seventies and in the nineties, and they had different rosters and all of those things. But I still think there are definite similarities in Guardians of the Galaxy and Eternals. Not everything matches up like for like, but it's a similar thing in that Guardians was not a movie that that Marvel had to make mm-hmm. for a twenty fourteen release. It wasn't the most obvious choice. But they still made it because they believed in it. And so if we can say that Marvel believed in Guardians of the Galaxy to have a movie come out in 2014, it stands to reason that Marvel would believe in Eternals enough to have this movie coming out in 2020. And it's not just because they were scraping the bottom of the barrel until they got a Fox infusion. I think they had other options, clearly, that were available to them, but they chose this, which is an indication that they believe in at, at if nothing else, they believe in the concept of the Eternals. And I think that's that is a good point. I will say that they probably, it, and again, I think to me they they believe in the concept of the idea. But I think because there is so much room to do different things with these characters, and you can be and add a lot of diversity to the MCU, and that, that could be also a thing they wanted to do and say, you know, we this is gives us an a real good. Uh, a chance to really go and do different kinds of stories, add different kinds of people, alter, you know, we don't have to do the same, you know, same things. We can do different things with these characters. And, and so to me, like even Guardians and like thinking about the, the legacy of the Eternals and, and the Marvel Cinematic or Marvel Universe and the comic books in the 616 universe, you know, in, in success and whatnot. I think Doctor Strange and, and and Guardians are very much on almost on the same level on the sense of being able to support their own book. And again, the Eternals don't have 
any of that. But again, I think that's also, I think, a, a, probably a good thing for Marvel because, or for the MCU because now they can do whatever they want with these characters. And I think that, to me, is what's going to be the defining line with this. And again, because they can add, they can, they can totally make these characters different you know, uh different races and things like that, which is great. So they don't, they can, they don't have to be the same looking characters. And I, I think that the fact that there are you know, different kinds of characters, like a gay character and whatnot, which is great. So these are all things that they're going to be adding to the, the MCU and that they can just do a whole new, fresh idea. That's where I think the, 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 all the positives for this movie is. And I think that what also, what I think is what we haven't really talked about is the groundwork for the MCU. I think they're going to be doing a lot of new stuff with it, not just new stuff as far as like kinds of characters, but what they're going to be in introducing for the themes and the ideas for the MCU and this new phase, phase four or whatever they're going to be calling it. This is the groundwork. I think we're going to be seeing potentially what the essentially what the MCU, the bigger, like let's say cosmic level, if you will, you know, we could see the birth of mutants. We could see, just all kind of the celestials. We already know the ties with the celestials, what they have. There's a lot they're going to be introducing with this movie. You could very well see that uh, Galactus be introduced in this somehow, or maybe even hinted at much like how we saw the celestials being teased in guardians of the galaxy volume one. This could be how Galactus is Galactus is teased in, um, in eternals in them talking about, you know, the, you know, all these different beings and whatnot. So there's a lot, I think they're going to be laying the groundwork for groundwork for in the MCU in this movie that I think they can do and kind of introduce and kind of see where the audience is kind of going with, because the experimenting they could do with, with that is very, very fascinating. And that's where, to me, the, the, is the biggest thing, exciting thing for this movie. I, I, I There is a couple other things. We'll, we'll get into that. But for me as a whole, as a movie, as a fan, that's what gets me excited is where exact, what exactly is Kevin Feige and, and, and company, what exactly are, are they going to be bringing to this and the ties and things like that with, with the MCU and what, what's the groundwork they're going to be laying out? Because to me, it's hard to get excited about everything else. There's a couple of things I'll get, I'm excited about, but I'll get into that later. But that's to me, the most exciting part of this movie at, at this point. Yeah. I think what excites me most about this movie, it's. Marvel Studios, and, and I love what they do in the MCU, but specifically about this project, the things that excite me most are the director, Chloe Zhao. I've said it before, but it bears repeating, so I'll say it again on this episode. I think this is maybe the best and most exciting director hire for Marvel Studios since Ryan Coogler on Black Panther. I just think she is on another level as a filmmaker, and the writer really blew me away, and so I think she's just going to really demonstrate a lot of that. with the. She's going to demonstrate her talent uh, with the Eternals, and I'm so happy that it's her vision that is bringing this project to a, a global audience that has no idea who these characters are. And I'm also tremendously excited about this cast. I mean, I read the names. That is an incredible list of actors who are now being paired with this unbelievably talented director, this visionary filmmaker. And you can never go wrong when you start with a whole lot of talent in making your movie. And that's what I'm seeing for the Eternals. And I also think the concept is very exciting. Even though I mean, we read a bunch of Eternals books, we've been doing it on the Patreon with the Marvel Unlimited Book Club. We read the Jack Kirby stuff. We read the Neil Gaiman stuff. We read the Charles Knopf stuff. We've read a lot of Eternals. 
to try and get ourselves ready for this movie and to be talking about things and getting ready for this movie. And I can't say that I absolutely love and adore any of those books specifically, but at the same time, I know that Marvel is going to tell an original story with this. They're not adapting any of these specific stories. So in the in the areas where there are some gaps in the development of characters and things like that, I have no doubt that Marvel Studios is going to fill in the blanks with exciting stuff and with great actors who are going to round out these characters and flesh them out in a way that maybe the comic books didn't get an opportunity to because the comic books didn't get a chance to really keep going and tell more stories with these characters. So I love the setup for this movie. I love the premise of this. And I love all the talent that's involved in making it. And then as far as the larger implications on the MCU, that's something that we're going to be talking about on the Patreon credit scene for this episode. And that's going to be available via our Patreon, exclusively via our Patreon. That's where I mentioned before, we're having a watch party this Sunday, February 23rd at 5 p.m. Pacific time. We're going to be watching the Avengers together. But on our Patreon, we also have exclusive audio content like that Patreon credit scene. We also have a new series called Marvelous Moments, where I'm breaking down some of the all-time best scenes in the MCU. Just posted the first one on our Patreon talking about that last conversation between Vision and Ultron and Avengers Age of Ultron. And so that exclusive audio and more is available at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. And if you sign up, you get your own private RSS link that you can put into a podcatcher like Apple Podcasts so that you get all of your content, all of your Marvel Studios News podcasts, the regular show that you're hearing now and all the Patreon exclusives, it's all in one feed. You don't have to track it down in multiple places. And so in addition to the Avengers watch party happening on February 23rd, I can also announce that when Black Panther hits Disney Plus on March 4th, we're going to be doing a watch party that I will host on our Patreon exclusive Discord. So look out for that as well. The start time is pending, but it's going to happen on March 4th. And then uh, while we're on the subject of the Patreon, I do have some people to thank. Thank you very much to James Stone, Frazetta Hulk, Clark Blackburn, Kyle Edmond, Nicholas Sanchez, John Payerchin, and Scott Karnda for supporting our Patreon and being members of our community. We really do appreciate it. So for more information on all of the exclusives that we have and our Patreon-exclusive Discord community, check out patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. Now, we actually have, speaking of news, a lot of things that have come out about the Eternals over the past couple months, and we're going to break all of that down. But before we do, I think we can also provide a little bit of a a recap for those who maybe haven't, who haven't yet dove into any Eternals comics or read anything to get ready for this movie. How exactly did this all start? What's the origin story of the Eternals? Well, the MCU version may be different, but in the comic books, you have the Celestials. Those are the giant beings, and you saw the severed head nowhere in Guardians of the Galaxy is the severed head of a Celestial. You saw another Celestial wielding the Power Stone as the Collector was kind of recapping the Infinity Stones for the Guardians in that movie. So the Celestials came to Earth and they created different species out of the Proto-Sapien, kind of the, the missing link before humanity along the evolutionary chain. They created humans, they created Eternal, well, depending on which version you read, they either created humans or humans were already there. They created humans, they created Eternals, who are these immortal beings Initially, they all had very similar powers, but then as time went on, they kind of differentiated their powers a little bit to make each character that much more unique. Uh, But they also created the Deviants, who were teased in that synopsis. And these are the more monster-looking characters. They are not immortal, like the aptly named Eternals are. They can die. 
Uh, Kevin Feige did mention that the it tur- that the Deviants will be a little bit different than they've been in the comic books, but we'll talk about that as we go on. So the only footage that has been shown from the Eternals so far was shown at Comic-Con Experience in Brazil back in December. Paul and I weren't there, so we can't really tell you what happened. I mean, there are recaps that you can read of, of the footage from people who saw it. Uh, but basically, what we what people saw in the footage, they saw Druig played by Barry Keegan. They saw Thena by Angelina, played by Angelina Jolie. Ajak played by Salma Hayek. Cersei played by Gemma Chan. Icarus played by Richard Madden, and Kingo played by Kumail Nanjiani. And what I saw consistently from the people who saw that footage, one quote from Ajak saying, "These people have changed all of us. We must protect them." But also multiple people who in multiple outlets who recapped that footage they noted just how different it looked, and they really loved the visual style that Chloe Zhao was bringing to it, kind of similar to what I would have expected based on having seen the writer. So I'm excited about that, but I don't want to just sit here and read a description of footage that you can find on your own. I want to go and get into some of the details that Kevin Feige shared in a follow-up interview after that panel with Omelette, which is the outlet that, was, uh, that, that helps put on the show CCXP down in Brazil. So here's something that Kevin Feige clued us in as far as the timeline for this movie. He said, it's an epic that spans 7,000 years of human history, has cosmic connotations, and changes everything we know about the MCU. He continued on after a follow-up question saying, it's slightly ambitious and takes place over 7,000 years from present day to Mesopotamia to all sorts of location and time periods and really feels like nothing we've done before. When I hear all of that, that kind of stuff excites me because I don't even know how you can put that together. How can you tell a story that really spans 7,000 years? How many different time periods and locations will we really check in with? But it is something that is very unique that you can do with the Eternals because these are characters who've been around this entire time. So I really like that. And when he talks about it having cosmic connotations that change everything we know about the MCU, Anything that recontextualizes the fabric of the MCU and what exactly it is and how it all fits together, that's the stuff that I love. And that's the kind of stuff that keeps the MCU exciting is as it continues to evolve or we continue, or maybe it's the same thing, but we just learn more about it. We, dis- we continue to discover things about this franchise, about this universe that we've already loved for the past coming up on 12 years now in, in 23 movies with Black Widow about to be 24 and Eternals 25. I love this idea that we can sit down and watch a movie like this with these brand new characters and they can totally reshape our understanding of this franchise we've already loved so much. I think that's what's really, really interesting is that there's there's going to be a tale over, you know, a, you know, many millennia. And that's where I think that the groundwork of the MCU is going to be even more deeper, deeper, deeperly, deeperly laid, if that's a way I can say it. Basically, you know, they're going to even further give us an idea of where the roots of the M- the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to be laid. And I think that's what's really fascinating about this over that course of time. That's why I think you're going to see the Galactus potentially or something like that. And there is to be a lot to be excited about that because there isn't anything, anything like that really. And it's not going to be a linear story. We're going to be jumping all around. And I think that is going to be a very interesting take on the story, you know, this movie. And I want to say for the record that just because I'm not excited about it doesn't mean I'm not going to love it. I Ant-Man's one of my favorite films of the MCU. I freaking love that movie. And I was not walking into that movie thinking I was going to like it. I walked in and Dr. Strange thinking I was going to love it. And I walked out going, eh. So I, you know, I want to make that very clear. I, I'm not betting against this movie by any means. 
we haven't seen anything. If it looks amazing, then it looks amazing. So I'm going to give it props. If I don't think it looks good, I'll say it. So, but right now I will say that that is going to be a very interesting element that I think that the fact that storytelling is not going to be just a very clear cut kind of thing where it's, you know, it's, it's going to be jumping around from, you know, all, all over the place or even being a prequel necessarily. It's going to be an actual movie that jumps different timelines because these characters lived they're eternal. I mean, they're, that's, it's in the name. So because, because they've lived for so long, what experiences have they done and how they impacted the Marvel Cinematic Universe that we don't know already? So, and those are the things that, you know, would be very interesting to go into in our Patreon scene. But that's what I think is going to be where I'm, I'm very, very interested to see where Kevin and all them take it. And I think that's where I think they're probably going, they're going at this movie in the sense to where, okay, we can tell a different kind of story because it doesn't have to be, again, we don't have to be adherent to the comic books to, to not anger fans because of that freedom. They're going to have different ways in telling the story. And then again, because of that experimentation and again, the movie you're talking about, the writer, Sean, I'll have to check, check it out because if it's an artsy fartsy film, I can definitely get my wife involved in that. So, you know, it might be a, I don't know. I've never even heard of the movie. So yeah, I, I think this is going to be, this is where I think the, the interesting aspects of the, of the film from a movie standpoint start to come alive because of the fact that it's, is that experimentation and the fact that there, it takes place over a, a large amount of time. And these characters, the fact, it's not just like, it's not like Asgard, where, right? Where it's a completely different place, but it takes place over a certain amount of, same amount of time in Earth years or whatever. No, no, no. These people have been, as far as we know, have been living among us. So, and, and this is where I, I, I'm kind of bummed. I wish that the Inhumans could have played a part, which they very well still could, as we know. There's, and there's been rumors about that and whatnot, which I'm hoping still is around or still will come about because I, I like the Inhumans characters. That, that TV show is awful, but I mean, those characters are cool. So, but that being said, these Eternals live among us. So there is a lot of interesting elements you can play off of that. And they can, with the whole time frame of they've lived during this period and then dur- lived during that period. So there's a lot of interesting things they can play off of. Yeah. And I, I do think at some point they're going to lock in on a present day story. I mean, the synopsis does say after the events of Avengers Endgame and talks about how there's an unexpected tragedy that forces them out of the shadows to reunite against mankind's most ancient enemy, the Deviant. So I think the main story, the A plot, is taking place in the present day, but it doesn't mean that we can't go back quite a bit because there can be events from the past that strongly inform what's happening in the present day and and is a huge part of it. So we might get extended flashbacks. When Kevin Feige talks about the story spanning 7,000 years, I don't really picture that as being the same as, just as an example, the first two Thor movies. The first two Thor movies, like in the first one, we go back to the war between Asgard and the Frost Giants, but then everything else is present day. At the beginning of Thor The Dark World, we go back to the battle between Asgard and the Dark Elves, and it's 5,000 years ago, the last time the convergence happened, but then we're back to the present day, and that's the entire story. I do hope, and I do think, based on what Kevin Feige is saying, that this story will go back and forth a little bit more than maybe we've seen with Thor, and it will be more it, it will be much better a representation of the idea of a story that can span thousands of years. But I think there are a lot of fascinating questions about this. I mean, if they've been around the whole time, 
what's happening now? What tragedy could unfold now that would bring the Eternals out of hiding when half the universe disappearing didn't bring them out of hiding, for example? I mean, in Avengers Infinity War slash Endgame, I mean, if that wasn't enough to bring them out, what is? Or is it going to be like the Neil Gaiman run in the comic books where a lot of these Eternals are waking up to the fact that they are Eternals? Because in the Jack Kirby run, it was more about some human beings discovering the existence of the Eternals and then, of course, discovering the existence of Celestials and all that, all this other stuff. In the Neil Gaiman run, it was the Eternals being the ones who were put in the position of having to discover themselves in their own history because they had actually been made to forget about their themselves in their history. So when we look at possible antagonists in this film, yes, the synopsis says the Deviants and Kevin Feige's confirmed that, yeah, they are indeed in the movie, but there are two other Eternals on that list in the cast who have been eternal. Even though they themselves are Eternals, they've been antagonists in the comic books. You have Sprite, who's being played by Leah McHugh, and you have Druig, who's being played by Barry Keegan. So either one of those characters or both of them could potentially turn out to be antagonists in this. And they might take a little cue from that Neil Gaiman run where the Eternals, maybe when Infinity War happened, maybe when the first Avengers movie happened or Age of Ultron, that these were things that they didn't uh, intervene because maybe they didn't know they were Eternals. That's one possibility. But even if they were aware of the fact that they were Eternals this entire time and chose not to step in, I do think that quote from Salma Hayek's Ajax in the footage at CCXP, if these people have changed all of us, we must protect them. I wonder if there's going to be, maybe we've just found out, or maybe we'll see that there have been all these debates all along. Should we step in? Should we step in? Should we intervene? And they've kept saying no, 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 including Infinity War. But maybe now something is going to happen where they feel like they they absolutely must, and they no longer have the opportunity uh, to in any way justify staying on the sidelines, that they really need to get involved now. But it just makes me curious as to what's been the case all along and if they've been in a position where they could have helped, what's different now? And is it really so much more severe than other things that we've already seen? So that's very intriguing about this movie for me. Also, the Celestials, because it's Kevin Feige did say when he, at CCXP, he said they're a big part of it. He said, we've seen a little bit of the Celestials, obviously, in Guardians of the Galaxy, as mentioned. But he said, we will see the Celestials in their full, true, enormous power in Eternals. The jumping off point for the Jack Kirby thing for the Jack Kirby run, the original Eternals run, because he created them, was the Celestials returning to Earth, and it was going to be a 50-year judgment period. I don't think we're working off of a 50-year judgment timeline in the movie, but then again, maybe we are. It spans 7,000 years. But the Celestials return to Earth, and they are going to judge whether or not Earth is... The people who live on Earth, the Eternals, humans, deviants, whether or not they're actually going to be allowed to continue living on Earth. And so if the Celestials are coming to Earth and Eternals, why is that happening? Is it because the Avengers went and screwed around with the timeline in Avengers Endgame? Have the Avengers provoked some sort of cosmic retaliation in a way that they don't understand? Or have they inadvertently called into question you know, the worthiness of Earth? Is that something that's at play here with the Eternals? I don't really know, but these are the kinds of questions that I think about and that I get excited about, not to say that all of these questions are going to be addressed, that they're going to be proposed and answered at any point in the Eternals movie, but there are all kinds of different things that run through my mind that could factor into this story. 
And then as far as the deviants go, Kevin Feige said that we will see deviants that will look unlike any deviants you've seen in the comics. This is a new form of deviants that we are revealing in the movie. So here's another example of Marvel going off book, but the deviants for the most part, they're just various pick monster here types of characters. I, I, there's not, I'm trying to remember the name. I know, I think there was a name of a couple different, of a couple more prominent deviants in the Jack Kirby run, and those names escape me right at this moment, but they're mainly ugly looking monsters. So that's really all they have to be in the Eternals. I don't really care whether or not they look like any specific deviants from the comic books. Now, if you're wondering where the deviants have been this whole time, Maybe they'll be living at the bottom of the ocean or underneath the ocean like they did in the comic books. They've, they're generally in hiding most of the time. So that's probably, I would imagine, the case here in, in the movie as well. But I do like the idea of, in the Neil Gaiman run, it was kind of Sprite also sort of teaming up with the Deviants a little bit. And I, yeah. I think that's going to be the case in the Eternals, Same. that mm-hmm. there's going to be an inside, you know, some it's going to be an inside job from Sprite or Druig or both working with the Deviants. Not entirely unlike Loki with the Frost Giants, although I don't think uh, I, I'm not. I don't think Marvel's going to pull a full-on repeat and have Sprite or Druig murder the King of the Deviants like Loki took out King Lofi in, in Thor. So they'll change it up a little bit, but I, I don't think the Deviants are the only antagonists here. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think Sprite is where I think the Neil Gaiman run is probably probably where they take the most influence from because that's probably my favorite of all the comic books. Even though I thought the Charlie Knopf run wasn't or the, the Knopf one wasn't super bad. It was, it was okay until the X-Men showed up. That's when it went, but um, the, the Gaiman run I thought was for the most part, all right. It just was kind of boring. It just kind of dragged on a little too much and didn't have much action, which is, I don't know, Neil Gaiman. I love Neil Gaiman, but he's not the most action packed writer in the world. Um, it's not really his strength. That being said, I think that that, but his idea for Sprite and what, the he did in that, in that story it's a he in that in that story but uh it was interesting and it definitely had some drama behind it and i think there's there's a lot to pull from that and i think it's very interview with the vampire if you if, if you're familiar with that movie mm-hmm. that's right i think you can really get a lot of across from and i think that there's a lot of something interesting about that and and powerful and i think that again the, the fact these people live for so long and how they hide and whatnot Again, are they conscious of this stuff? Because to me, when I read the, if I remember correctly, Sean, there's a lot of subconscious things in their characters that they did that they may not, they may not, may not have known they were Eternals or superheroes, but there was something in their subconscious, like altering them a little bit and almost telling them that they were. Um, I like those ideas. I think, I think they could play a lot off of that. Um there is a lot. Of, I think there's a lot of emotional stuff you could do in the story based off of Neil's story alone. And I think that is is very interesting. The one thing we haven't talked about, and I'm going to bring this up because I'm the Marvel zombie that I have to bring this up. And the one thing that I'm excited about this movie, there's one or two things. Okay. There are two things about this movie that I'm excited about. Black Knight, Circe. I love Black Knight. He's always been a Marvel character that I've always liked a ton. And there's no real reason other than that. I love medieval knights and he's, Mm -hmm. this looks cool. He had a great look. I mean, he also basically had a a lightsaber in the nineties, which is really awesome. So 
<laughs> it's really ridiculous. Um, but anyway, I've always liked uh, Dean or is it Dean, right? Dane Whitman. Dane, Dean, Dane, whatever. Um, yeah, Whitman. I've always liked the character. Always liked him. All, and it's very, very interesting the fact he comes from the Knights of the Round Table, uh, and he's got the Ebony Blade, and how that alters him, and, and on the, the kind of the weird things with that whole thing going on. There's a lot of really cool things you can do with this, and the the funny thing is he's not an Eternal, but he's in this movie. But he's the love interest for uh, Gemma Chan's Cersei, and I've always liked them as a couple together. Now, be again. I have no idea what they're going to do with this character, but it definitely seems that they're they're because they're going to be spanning over so many years now. He's probably he's probably going to be in the from the Knights of the Round Table, Arthur King Arthur. They're probably going to use him in that movie, and Gemma Chan probably will have met him. I'm assuming my guess is during that time, and how he survives and lives that long. Maybe because he is in love with Cersei, she, you know, makes him live longer. I don't know. Um, maybe it's tied to the Ebony Blade. I don't know. There's a lot of really cool things in this that, that I'm really excited about because I love that character. And, and he, he's obviously not a main character. But the one thing you got to remember about um, Dane Whitman is that the Black Knight is a major Avenger for many, many years. So the fact that they're introducing him with the Eternals. He made it, and this is where I'm probably going to guess where I think is going to happen. He's going to be in flashback scenes with Cersei, and she's going to be the one that got away. And there's going to be something that brings him back, something like something like that, where he'll show up again in Avengers that will make her join the Avengers and not and, and kind of leave the Eternals or, or leave their world or whatever. That'll draw her to the new Avengers team because she is obviously an Avenger, a mainstream Avenger at some point as well. So to me. What exactly? To me, what I'm excited about is Cersei is always the main character of this movie that I'm probably most fascinated with, and I'm just smitten over Gemma Chan in Captain Marvel. So the fact that she's playing Cersei, who who I liked in in the comic books, I'm like, oh man, this is perfect. And Dane Whitman, she you know she's an item with Dane Whitman, the Black Knight, awesome. And then Kit Harrington, awesome. So and I loved uh, obviously Jon Snow in Game of Thrones. So I'm like, this is like. Perfect. So for me, that's the aspect of the movie that I'm probably the most excited about just because of my ties to those characters and growing up and reading those comic books. I read a lot of Avengers comic books. The Avengers comics that I did read when I was a kid, it was mainly Cersei and Black Knight and Crystal from the Inhumans. And I think Black Widow was there, but it was a weird, the nineties were weird people. Like it's, it's a weird time. And I, I definitely want to read those comics cause it's, it's, it's a trip, but that being said, I do think it's interesting that they are introducing the Black Knight with the Eternals because I definitely think that he's going to be a major Avenger at some point. Because again, he's a major Avenger in the comic books and the fact they're introducing him in this and it's Kit Harrington, He's a you know well-established actor now because of Game of Thrones. It just makes sense. So I think, but I don't think he's going to be a main part of the movie, but I think, I definitely think he's going to be somewhere in the flashbacks of the, of the time frame of seriously living for all those years that well, Dane Whitman's a modern day character though. I mean, it's his family lineage that goes back to the days of King Arthur. So in, in the history of being the black knight and kind of passing on that mantle a little bit, he's part of the modern day. And I, I don't I mean, know. I, 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 I don't I know how, I mean, cause he's not, an, he's not an eternal. So, I mean, well, he's, he's not. not. No, he's not. He can't live forever. So, I mean, I, I don't. And if they say he's not an eternal, 
and then he just happens to live forever like the Eternals, what does that even mean? So, I mean, I, I think he's going to be... His consciousness, like, the I don't know if the Ebony Blade, this is where my, my Black Knight uh, history gets a little murky. The Ebony Blade yeah. might might get him all the give him all the knowledge of his ancestors and maybe that's where i'm getting confused from because yeah, no i think he i think he can reach back to it and tap into it but he's, okay he's not, he's not literally from there i, I thought yeah because this is where i read a comic book where it was him and exodus this is like the, the mutant character exodus if you guys know who that is the mutant character exodus and him were back in the medieval times and i'm like what is this where Dane, like, is Black Knight from that time frame? And I remember reading something like that. And I think M16, um, he's also in that. I think he talks about it there too. And again, it's been a long time. So I think you're right. I think he must be able to pull back from that from his ancestors because he definitely is remembers times of King Arthur. And I'm so I'm wondering if that might be it or maybe. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I don't sense. remember all the mechanics of it, but I do remember like he wasn't. He's just. I mean, he's from our time, or you know, our time back in you know ninety eighties nineties comics time. But like he's from the modern day, and then of course he because of I don't remember exactly if it's the Ebony Blade or something else that's part of being the Black Knight that transfer that gives him the knowledge and is uh, to to the point where he can almost effectively live in the past and. If he has that capability in Eternals, then without having physically met Cersei himself, he could trace himself back to somebody he knew or is related to who knew who knew Ooh, Cersei back in those days. So that's that, interesting. That's there, be really interesting. There are potential connections uh, with respect to that. But yeah, I am excited about both of these characters being together in this film. Uh, Cersei, I think, is a lot of fun. That's the character that I've probably enjoyed the most in the Eternals books that we've read. She's so much fun in all of these books, and she's just so different, so unique. She's not necessarily like the the most. She doesn't always have the heaviest burden, although there are some things that come up, particularly with her relationship to Black Knight, that uh, do cause issues uh, mm -hmm. in the Eternals. But she is such a, a cool character, and Gemma Chan. I mean, that casting. I'm so excited that she's playing another role in the MCU Same, because yeah. as we started figuring out or as we started diving into Eternals books and I started reading more and more Cersei, I started thinking, man, because at that, that was around the time uh, Crazy Rich Asians had come out or not long after that. And I remember seeing Gemma Chan from Crazy Rich, R Crazy Rich Asians. I know she's been in other stuff before that, but she's going to be in Captain Marvel and she's playing Minerva. And I'm like, that's great. But we've been reading these Eternals books, and as I'm looking at Cersei, I'm like, man, it's it's too bad Gemma Chan has already played Minerva or is already playing Minerva in Captain Marvel, because she really would be great for Cersei. And then, sure enough, she's still playing Cersei in the MCU, which I, I really do love. And I think because she was covered in blue makeup in Captain Marvel, and that character died in that movie, I don't really think it's going to be an issue. I think uh, most audience members probably won't even recognize that it's the same person, because I think Gemma Chan is going to look more like herself in the Eternals and not covered in blue makeup like she was in in Captain Marvel. So I'm excited about her and what she's going to bring to that character. Kit Harrington. I mean, I love that we got two Stark boys in Kit Harrington yeah. and Richard Madden as part of the Eternals. That's just awesome. Uh, but for Kit Harrington specifically, I mean, he may know nothing, but I still love Jon Snow. And so mm -hmm. like just yeah. having him be Dane Whitman and I just... I mean, the Avengers implications are huge. I mean, we're trying to figure out what our Avengers roster is going to be. And here's two mainstays of the Avengers roster 
for a fair amount of time in the comic books being brought into and introduced in this film with Dane Whitman. And Marvel has not specifically, and I don't think there's anything officially where they've referred to him as the Black Knight. They've just been calling him Dane Whitman. But I can't imagine that he's not going to be the Black Knight at some point in this movie. They're not going to introduce the concept of that. So to have Black Knight and to have Cersei be a part of this, I think is awesome. And then when you look at the rest of the cast, I mean, it just gets better and better and, and thinking about how cool this movie can be. And we touched on uh, very briefly before the, div- the, div- the diversity of this cast and just how, how much representation is, is being offered here. But I think what's important about it is that it's not just having a diverse cast for the sake of having a diverse cast. I think it's actually going to be meaningful in the parts that these characters play. And here's something that Kevin Feige did say about representation and diversity in the MCU and inclusion. Here's something he said at CCXP. Over the course of our movies, we keep trying to do a better and better job making our movies look like the world and the fans who go to see the movies. People can see themselves up on that screen as these heroes in Eternals is a tremendous example of that. I want everyone in a theater to be able to see themselves in some form or another as the heroes in our movies. That's the fun. That's the wish fulfillment of what the Marvel Cinematic Universe is all about. I love that. I don't necessarily know if that initiative has always been as strong in the MCU. And so it's fair to criticize Marvel Studios and many other studios for not always backing that type of philosophy. But clearly, Marvel Studios is making an effort and they've done very well so far in making these improvements and making a lot of strides. But I think Eternals is a very big step. You look at that cast. And I know if somebody's a diehard Eternals fan, they can say, well, Selma Hayek doesn't look like Ajak, who's a male in the comic books, or Lauren Ridloff, who's going to be the first deaf hero in the MCU as Makari, doesn't look like the male Makari from the comic books. I, I understand if you're a diehard longtime fan of, the, of these specific comic book characters and not necessarily loving that they're being changed. But for the most part, I don't think there's a lot of longtime Eternals fans who are completely devoted to these characters as they've been shown in the comic books. And in most of those instances, we're talking about characters that, as I said, haven't been that well-defined or developed in the comic books. So I think there's an opportunity to adapt. There's a lot of blank space to fill in. And yes, that also creates the opportunity to make changes to some of these characters But it's not just change for the sake of change. It's because you can have greater value in these characters and the stories being told by allowing for greater diversity and variation among these characters. And I think that's really awesome. I mean, when I look at this cast, it's stacked with talent. And the more talent you have, because name the bad actor in the bunch here who's part of this main cast for the Eternals. They are all outstanding actors. I, I, I can't say specifically about Leah McHugh. I don't know if I've ever seen anything that she's been in, but everybody else, Lauren Ridloff from The Walking Dead, Kumail Nanjiani was, I mean, he's been awesome and hilarious for years, but obviously showed a lot of what he could do dramatically in The Big Sick. You have Richard Madden, who of course has done a lot of great stuff from Game of Thrones, Salma Hayek, Angelina Jolie. I mean, the, you have actors who have had unbelievable careers who are all coming together to be part of this really special cast that can create a really and help tell a really special story in the Eternals. And I'm really excited about what they're what they're going to bring to it. And one thing we also know about the Eternals is that it's going to feature the first openly gay superhero in the MCU. We already knew about that. We've known about this for a while. We've known about it for the better part of a year, maybe even longer than that. 
but Kevin Feige confirmed it in an interview with Good Morning America at D23 Expo back in August. Here's what he said about the character, quote, he's married, he's got a family, and this is just a part of who he is, end quote. We didn't know this whole time, though, who this character was going to be, but now we do. We found this out last week. We now know that it's going to be Brian Tyree Henry's Fastos because, as Kevin Feige mentioned, Fastos is married, and we now have quotes from the, pers- from the actor who is playing Fastos' husband. So Haas Slayman is playing Fastos' husband, and here's what he told New Now Next last week. I just shot a Marvel film with the first openly gay superhero, The Eternals. I'm married to the gay superhero Fastos, played by Atlanta's Brian Tyree Henry, and we represent a gay family and have a child. And then New Now Next asked uh, Slayman about whether or not there would be a gay kiss in the movie, and here's what he said. Oh yeah, absolutely, and it's a beautiful, very moving kiss. Everyone cried on set. For me, it's very important to show how loving and beautiful a queer family can be, Brian Tyree Henry is such a tremendous actor and brought so much beauty into this part, and at one point I saw a child in his eyes, and I think it's important for the world to be reminded that we in the queer community, we were all children at one point, we forget that because we're always depicted as sexual or rebellious, we forget to connect on that human part. Everything that Slayman says there about Fastos and the relationship and the family that they have I think is wonderful. I think it's beautiful. And I'm glad that it's going to be part of the MCU. I'm glad it's going to be part of this movie. Brian Tyree Henry as Fastos. This is another character where there's a lot of room to adapt. I mean, even the sexuality of the character in the Charles Knopf run, this is in the wake of the Neil Gaiman run where Eternals are waking up to the fact that they're Eternals. Well, in that book, Fastos has not woken up to who he is. So the the human version of Fastos who does not know who he's eternal who doesn't know, know his actual identity he's married to a woman but that's not necessarily who he is so I don't think his actual sexuality was ever addressed in the comic books but even if it was there's just as much freedom to adapt with that character as there is with anyone else and I do think it's well past time for the MCU among other franchises to have an openly gay hero And I know there's bound to be the question of why does there need to be a kiss? Why isn't it enough to show that Fastos has a husband and they have a child together? Why do they need to shoot the two characters having a kiss? Now, hopefully the kiss is in there. We don't know. We haven't seen the final edit of this movie, but I hope it's there. And for as to the question of why does it need to be there, the better question is why can't it be there? Why shouldn't it be there? If we've had, I mean, how many heterosexual kisses between men and women have we had in the MCU at this point? It's been a lot between Steve and Peggy, Tony and Pepper, Peter and Gamora, and on down the line, we've seen plenty of kisses between heterosexual couples in the MCU. A kiss between two gay men is just as normal and can be every bit as beautiful and loving as a kiss between a man and a woman. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with showing that on screen. And when we talk about the idea of representation, it's not enough to simply say, here's X character in our movie, and they represent X group in our movie. That's there. We've checked the box, and we have representation. Representation is about showing a slice of life, showing who they are and what, it, what that's like to be, to be who they are. And it doesn't mean you're going to show every aspect of their life. This is an ensemble picture. We're not going to go too deep into anyone's individual life because there's so many characters whose stories are being told here. 
whose stories are all merging with one another. But if you're going to have a character who is the first openly gay superhero in the MCU and you want to show a piece of his life, that's part of offering true and meaningful representation. And I think there would be a pretty good, I think all of that is evident in what, in how Slayman describes the set that day when they shot that kiss of so many people crying on set because of how much that really means in having true representation that is so long overdue for LGBTQ. And not that this will fix or cure all of it, but you've got to start somewhere. And the MCU, even though there have been other characters where, like Valkyrie, where off screen they say, well, she could be, her sexuality might be ambiguous. We could see her being bisexual or, but there's a difference between saying it outside of the story and actually letting it be part of the story. That's something that Marvel Studios hasn't yet done for the LGBTQ community. And I'm happy that it's happening with Eternals and it should continue happening as we move forward in the MCU. Exactly. Well said. Couldn't say it better myself, my friend. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and Brian Tyree Henry as, as Fastos, awesome. Like yeah. he's such a, such an incredible actor. And I was so happy that he was in uh, the MCU. He actually, he briefly appeared in Joker last year and I thought, oh man, DC got him. But then when I saw Joker and I was like, he's in this movie for two seconds, we're going <laughs> to, like, he's just fine to, uh, and at that point we already, by the time I saw Joker, we already knew that he was cast in Eternals. But yeah, I, I absolutely love this cast. So much talent involved, and Chloe Zhao as the director to lead this cast and steer this ship. I think Eternals is going to be something really special this year. We did our MCU preview. Uh, we did our, our preview show at the beginning of the year. I think I put Eternals at the top of my list there. I mean, everything is really in a tie for first from my most anticipated for Marvel. But if I'm going to give something the edge, it's the Eternals because we've never seen this. And what's great about the Eternals is that. I know Black Widow has never had her own solo film before, but we've had plenty of Natasha Romanoff. So effectively, in my eyes, Eternals is the first true brand new franchise and certainly the first set of new characters that we are getting in this new era for the MCU in phase four post Endgame and that they have the chance to redefine and recontextualize how we see the MCU, how we understand the MCU. That's a really exciting prospect, and we've got all the talent in the world coming in to tell this story and make us fall in love with these characters. And the great thing about that is it won't be anything new. It will be new for these characters, but in the grand scheme of things for Marvel Studios, it's nothing new. I'm a bigger fan of the Guardians of the Galaxy now than I was before Marvel gave us a movie in 2014. I've talked before about how much more I care about Nebula in the MCU than I ever did in the comic books. Marvel Studios has a pretty good track record of making the world, even comic book fans, care more and more about these characters as time goes on with the stories that they tell. And I think Eternals, in their own way, with this incredible cast and this unbelievably talented filmmaker and Chloe Zhao, they will be the latest example of that. Now, before we get out of here, we do need to give some recommended reading for the Eternals. I will say with all of the, the books that I have on the list, you might want to do some skimming. Not all of the reading is great. So when I say The Eternals from 1976, number one through 18 from Jack Kirby, get enough of it if you want to read it. And it's the easiest way to track down all of this stuff is on Marvel Unlimited. And I don't say that because they pay us to say that. They don't. They, they probably should at this point, but they don't. Um, but I, I don't, I'm sure some of these might be available in trades. The Neil Gaiman Eternals run probably is. 
Uh, but I will try and provide some clues as to how you can get it. But most of it, I just pulled and read off of Marvel Unlimited. So the Eternals from 19, 1976, number one through 18, it does do it does introduce a lot of the characters that are going to be featured in this film. It doesn't go in depth on all of those characters. So I don't really consider any of this, not that any of it ever is, but none of this is really required reading or anything close to it. But if you are curious about the Eternals, starting with the Jack Kirby run, that's not a bad spot. Then the next thing I would check out is the Neil Gaiman Eternals run from 2006, issues one through seven, or you might be able to get that all as one trade. That one, I think, gives a little bit more modern context to the Eternals and the idea to them waking up to a world where the Avengers already exist, although Cersei has even forgotten that she's an Eternal and forgotten that she was an Avenger at one point. But that's an interesting story that I do think could provide some context that might be applicable in some way to the MCU. Then coming off of that Neil Gaiman Eternals run, There's the Charles Knopf Eternals run from 2008, issues one through nine. It has the nickname Manifest Destiny, which really refers more to the the later arc in that nine-issue run of a crossover between the Eternals and the X-Men. But it picks up with that idea of uh, coming off of the Neil Gaiman run that could be applicable if the MCU plays the angle of the Eternals not knowing that they were Eternals and having to wake up to that fact, that's where the Neil Gaiman and Charles Knopf run comes in. Because after the Neil Gaiman run where the Eternals awaken to who they are, or some of them do, it becomes this arm, this arms race between Icarus and Thena, and then Druig on the other side, kind of trying to awaken these different Eternals and get them on their side in this war uh, that's happening. So that's uh, part of it. If you want a sample of the Avengers, a really good issue that I actually read as I was just looking for more things to recommend for this show was Avengers 361. Uh, and that played into the that plays into the relationship a little bit between Dane Whitman and Cersei. It also provides some Eternals history, and it also introduces a conflict. Cersei having uh, intending for Dane Whitman, a human, a mortal, to be her soulmate is something that Eternals aren't actually supposed to do, and it becomes evidence against her mental or, or emotional stability. I'm not saying that's right. I'm saying that's the argument in Eternals cultural law. That is uh, part of that issue. I don't really expect that to be a part of the MCU, at least not executed in exactly the same way. Uh, But it was really just more of a good snapshot of some Eternals history, as well as the relationship between Dane Whitman and Cersei. Although, as you'll see in that book, Dane Whitman isn't as all in on being Cersei's soulmate as she is all in on being his. Uh, There's also a Black Knight run, uh, a five issue series from 2015 that you can check out. And that gives you a uh, a little more context on Dane Whitman and his ability to kind of reach back through history that he wasn't necessarily or physically present for. So those are some reading recommendations. Paul, I don't know if you have any for The Eternals, but I would just say with all of it, expect Marvel to go off book quite a bit from anything that you're reading now. Any reading that you do is really more for the concept of The Eternals than any, any specific story clues, because I think Marvel is going to be adapting quite a bit. And I have no issue with that, because while I love the concept, there's no specific story from the Eternals that I think is so locked in and perfect that Marvel had better dare not deviate from it. Yeah, you pretty much touched on everything. I think if you if you guys really want to read some Avengers comics with some familiar characters, but also kind of get to know Cersei and Black Knight, just go ahead and read the early 90s Marvel, uh, Marvel comics from Avengers. And... You start where, where where Sean was saying, or even a little bit earlier. I think around three twenty something, or around that era um, of comics, uh, Black Knight shows up, and Cersei eventually shows up, and Vision's in it. Um, 
it's it gets it gets pretty deep in the woods with Marvel continuity and just weirdness. Uh, like I said, I want to read it all of it one day. But Vision does play a big part in the eventually in that run. Um, it's also the the art is done by I believe uh, Andy Kubert. He's amazing. Or yeah, Andy Kubert. His work is incredible. And that was before he joined X Men and became kind of like a little more of an all star. Um, so yeah, he got, a, he cut his teeth on that right after, uh, Steve Epstein had le- left the book. So a lot of great artists were on that run, but the writing wasn't the best, but the art is really good. And, and, but still this, it was really cool to, re- uh, you know, kind of get familiar, get from more familiar with those characters. But if you really want to get to know, I think what Marvel is going to be doing with these characters, I think it's going to be very heavily influenced by the guy, the guy men run. So Definitely check that out if you want to read something, which we definitely reviewed it already for our Patreon at some point. So um, check that out. We, our review there, we, we go in depth on it. So yeah, check that out. Yeah, we did that. And I think we also did the Charles Knopf run for the we Eternals. Did. So those are available on the Marvel Unlimited Book Club exclusive that's on our Patreon. Speaking of which, we are going to get out of here, but we're going to go to our Patreon credit scene where we'll be talking more about the Eternals and its connections to the broader MCU, even addressing the Thanos connection to the Eternals from the comics and how that may or may not factor into the MCU version of the Eternals. Uh, but before we do that, make sure you're following us in all the places that we that, that you can, at Marvel Studios News on Facebook and Instagram, at Marvel Newscast on Twitter, and you can also find us on the website, marvelstudiosnews.com. Uh, Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also the same thing on Instagram. Check out my Star Wars podcast, The Saga Continues, and also Blaster Cannon. Uh, we're on Twitter, on podcast. Check us out. A lot of fun. Appreciate it. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. 